Good morning, a good day, depending on when you are watching this. Welcome to our church at home service. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Isaiah 43 verse 19 reads as follows. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. As we go into today's teaching, may you be encouraged to rise and rebuild because God is doing a new thing. So get up, dust yourself and rebuild. Now let's have a look at what's happening in the life of the church. On Sunday, the 5th of September, we are going to have our annual general meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon. Please save the date. More information will be shared in the coming weeks. And secondly, Ladies' Conference at Cornerstone Church, Pretoria on the 21st of August. Registration is 180 per person. If you're interested in going, please speak to Antinkensani Matebula. Today, we are continuing with part four of our series, Rise and Rebuild. If you're joining us for the first time, please fill in our welcome card that you'll find in the description box below. And now I'm going to hand over to Mr. Mapaha, who will encourage us with a word of offering. And after that, he will be followed by Pastor Mondli with today's teaching. Enjoy the rest of the service. My name is Shaka. I'll be giving you the offering message for today. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Leviticus 23, verse 22, and it reads as follows. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now you're probably wondering, why did God tell them not to reap all the, 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 the crop or whatever they had planted from their, from their fields. And I believe that God was trying to teach them that they should always leave a space for God. And our tithing should be like that. We don't need to hold on to every single rand that we have or that we earn. We should leave a portion of it for God. And when we do this, we create room for God to work and move in our lives. It opens up opportunities for God to bless us. But we should remember to do this freely and cheerfully when we give. In 1 Chronicles 29 verse 9, it reads, Then the people rejoiced for that they had offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. The people rejoiced for that they had offered willingly. They were not only glad that they were able to do so, but they were glad and they did it with a perfect heart. Let us try and imitate these people. Let us give freely and cheerfully and willingly. Let's honor our Lord God by giving him a portion of what he has blessed us with. Let us give. The details will appear on the screen. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to part four of our series, Rise and Rebuild. And the series is basically um, focusing on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we are learning some lessons that we can apply in our lives as we rebuild our lives and put things back together. And last week, 
uh, we basically, to do a quick recap, we looked at the first stage of the rebuilding of the temple. So basically, these are the uh, children of Israel that were sent back from captivity to go back and to rebuild a temple, the temple to God that was destroyed. And, and last week, we looked at the first stage of that rebuilding process where they basically laid the foundation of the temple. And that was followed shortly by an exuberant worship service where the people came together, led by the priest, worshiping and praising God and thanking him to celebrate that major milestone of the laying of the foundation. And we basically looked at three things there. We looked at some of the leaders of the work of rebuilding the temple. And we were able to learn and conclude that age is not a determining factor for whether God is able to use a person or not. God can use anyone as long as they are willing and they are humble. They are willing and they are humble. So we basically looked at humility and willingness as determining factors for whether God will be able to use you or not. And the second thing we looked at is the contrast between God's reaction and the reaction of some of the older generation when they looked and saw, you know, the, the temple, the, the foundation of this temple being laid because they had seen that previous temple before it got destroyed. And we, we saw that, that contrast in those reactions. And what we basically learned there is that dwelling in the past puts us at risk of missing what God is doing in the present. It happens so easily in our lives when we reminisce, when we, when we think about the good old days and we dwell too much on the past, we run the risk of actually missing what God is doing in the present moment. And lastly, we looked at the importance of being able to distinguish between the voices that are connected to what God is doing and the voices that are not connected to what God is doing. I mean, even the scriptures, the passage from last week tells us that it is so difficult to be able to tell them apart, especially especially from a distance, but you and I need to get close enough to be able to distinguish uh, from the voices that are, you know, aligned to what God is doing and the voices that are not aligned to what God is doing. Because if we listen to the voices that are not aligned, that are not in alignment to what God is doing, we will get discouraged, we will get disillusioned, and we will, and we will eventually give up and stop doing the work that God has called us to do. But if we listen to the voices that are connected to what God is doing, then we will get the courage and the strength we need to be able to do and finish what God has called us to do. All right, and so today the title of the message is, is uh, Dealing with Opposition and Discouragement. Dealing with Opposition, and, and we'll start by reading Ezra chapter 4, the first five verses, and jumping all the way to verse 24. Let us read together. It says, now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build uh, to the Lord. 
the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia, Jump all the way to verse 24. Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Very uh, fascinating and a little bit confusing passage of Scripture, but we will trust that God is going to help us to be able to understand it. Let us just pray before we go even further. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, as we are about to go into your word today, that you help us, Father God, to be able to learn, to be able to understand, to be able to receive everything that you want us to receive through this uh, passage of Scripture and everything we're going to read today, Lord God. We pray that you help us to be able to apply whatever it is that we learn in our lives so that our lives may be made better, our lives may be transformed, our lives may conform to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father God, that you may be able to do everything you want to do in and through us through this word and this message. We pray for all this in Jesus' mighty name, so that your name may be glorified now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So if you are anything like me, you know, I assume that you have a lot of questions in your mind right now. You know, after we've just read this passage of Scripture, you're confused because one of the things that just confused me a bit is that when you and I are doing a significant work, a significant project, we normally want to receive all the help that we can get, all the help that we can get. You know, we appreciate it, but that is not what happens here. And some of it, you know, sounds a little bit harsh or sounds a little bit rude, but we are going to go into it and hopefully it's going to begin to make sense. And it begins in verse 1 by saying, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the, the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So it begins with the word, now when the adversaries of of, of Judah and Benjamin heard. And the first, thing, uh, 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 the first thing that we begin to think about is, you know, why are they adversaries? Why are we told that they are adversaries? Because if you have been following from the beginning, there's nothing that has ever been mentioned concerning these people. So how do we know that they are adversaries? And basically the thing that happens here is that it is the narrator who is helping us understand something that he knows that we do not yet know. So we're going to understand why they are called adversaries in this, in this chapter. And so basically what he is doing is that he is capturing the essence. It's almost as if he is retelling a story and, and bringing in all the details that do not even follow a chronological order in order to make a point. So that is uh, basically what happens here. And that's, that's why if you read the whole of chapter 4 from beginning to end, it doesn't flow so nicely if you follow the chronology, especially when it comes to the kings. And so verse 1 to verse 5. And also verse 24, they are part of the present moment, the present time that was happening there. And verse 6 to 23 happened much later, but he is bringing them here to make a point, to help us to understand, you know, why these people are called adversaries. And so basically, as soon as progress was being made in the building of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, word began to, to 
get, to go out, you know. And people were, took notice of the fact that progress was being made. The work is going on there. The temple is being rebuilt. And isn't it interesting that as soon as you and I begin making progress on what God has called us to do in our lives, whether it's a business that you are building or an abandoned project that you want to get restarted, whether you are trying to eliminate corruption from your department, that all of a sudden, as soon as progress is being made, that people begin to crop up from nowhere wanting to be a part of what you are doing. And the unfortunate part is that some of the people who begin to crop up, crop up because they do not like what you are doing. You know, and in the beginning, they seem helpful and friendly. But the fact of the matter is that they are there to derail you, which is exactly what takes place here. Verse 2, it says, They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of their father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you. Let us help you. For we worship your God as you do. And, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, if you just read this out of context, if this is the only thing that you focus on, you would think, what's wrong with it? The only thing they want to do, they want to help. You know, these are friendly people. They're just asking for the privilege of being able to build with them. They are part of the team, if you read this verse. But the fact of the matter is that there is a context to this to these people. And they say that they were brought here by Esarhaddon, king of Assyria. Now, in, in 2 Kings chapter 17, it is recorded when these people were displaced and, and brought uh, to, to Israel, and specifically the cities of Samaria. So we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 17, starting from verse 24. And this is what it says. It says, And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamas and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. So basically, this, this is a group of many nations that were brought into the cities of uh, Samaria that were placed there by the, by, the, by the king of Assyria. And this was after the nation of Israel was already taken captive, you know, and the land was laying vacant. So they brought these people, these many nations from many different parts of the world, and they brought them and they set them there. And we are actually going to continue to read a couple of verses just to understand what the Bible says about these nations, these people that are saying, we are part of the team, we want to help, you know, we, we are together in this, we worship the same God. So we continue reading verse 25 to 28, and then we'll jump all the way to verse 41. 2 Kings 17 from verse 25. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord, which basically means they did not worship God. So therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the Lord of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear or worship the Lord. Now, verse 41, 
is very indicative of the kind of people these were. Verse 41. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their father, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. And so that is absolutely clear. Who are these nations? These were foreigners. These were nations that were uh, grouped from all over the world that were brought uh, in Israel and they lived in Samaria. But the most important thing to note here is that they do not worship the same God the same way as they claim to do. These are people that only worship God out of fear. These are only people that worship God out of convenience. But deep down in their hearts, they worship their own idols. They have their idols that they are committed to. And we are even told, if we continue reading, that some of them even bent their own children alive as a way of sacrificing to their idols. And this was something that was a clear uh, abomination and violation of God's law, uh, the God of Israel. So the fact of the matter is that these people and these nations are actually not followers of God or true and devoted followers of God. They only worship God or follow God out of convenience or out of fear. And what they are doing here is basically they are trying to deceive the Israelites so that they can infiltrate them and, and, and hamper the progress of the work from the inside. And this is actually a very important lesson for us to understand concerning partnerships. You know, the fact of the matter is that in life, there is nothing significant that has ever been achieved uh, without partnerships. Everything significant, every work, every project that is significant will require partnerships. That is just a fact of life. And in life, you and I are going to partner with different people for a number of different reasons. And so the people you and I choose to partner with, you know, other difference maker. That's what we need to understand. That the people you and I choose to partner with are the difference maker between us achieving what God has called us to do or not. Partnerships are that important. But at the same time, they can also be very detrimental to our progress. Just take a moment and think about romantic relationships for a moment. You know, in the beginning, it is always, I am also a Christian. Or he is also, he says he's also a Christian. He says he also goes to church. You know, she says she also believes in God like I do. That's always how it normally begins. And if you and I are not careful, we will begin to partner with the wrong people, and they will take us out of God's will for our lives. This happens almost on a daily basis where people are not careful, where believers are not careful, and they partner with the wrong people in their lives. And that derails them. That takes them out of God's will or God's purposes for their lives. And just because a person says that they believe in God, that does not mean that they do. This is exactly what happened here. This was deception and, and as people wanted to infiltrate them and, you know, basically uh, hamper the progress of of the work. So you and I need to be diligent in checking things out before we choose to commit to a particular partnership. Because the first strategy of the enemy was to derail them from God's purposes concerning them. 
Listen to how Paul puts it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So this is absolutely clear that we are instructed not to partner ourselves together with unbelievers. Obviously, this does not mean, you know, that we cannot be associates or associated with unbelievers. We cannot work in the same office where there are unbelievers. That does not mean that. But this talks about partnership. This talks about forging that bond of loyalty with a person and making that commitment and joining your life to the life of that person. And the first thing I just wanted to touch on is, is the difference between valuables and variables. Because you and I need to be able to distinguish between what are valuables in our lives and what are variables in our lives. Valuables are those things that are foundational, are those immovable stuff, that, the things that we cannot and should not compromise on. And those are such things as our beliefs, the things that we believe, our core values and character traits, things that have to do with our character. Those are valuables. And variables, on the other hand, those are things such as preferences, likes, and dislikes, those kinds of things. And the important thing is this, that there is no partnership that's worth compromising on our valuables. There is no partnership that's worth compromising our valuables for. And Paul here says, we need to make sure that we are not unequally yoked together, that we are not partnering together with unbelievers because he knows exactly what is going to happen. And the fact of the matter is that if you and I stay in that partnership long enough, at some point we will begin to compromise on our valuables. And we know this, you know, if you have lived long enough, you've either seen it in your own life or you have seen it in other people's lives, that if we stay in that kind of partnership for long enough, at some point, sure, you know, um, lo and behold, surely we will begin to compromise on our valuables. So thankfully, the, the leaders of, of the work that was happening in Israel here in the, in the book of Ezra, uh, they were able to see right through their enemies. They were able to see right through the deception because they responded, and this is what they say. It says, but Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in, in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. 
And at face, at face value, when you first read this, po- this portion of Scripture, or when you read it earlier, uh, you thought, this is harsh. Why are they responding this way? This sounds harsh. This sounds uncalled for. Uh, you know, and, but the, 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 the truth of the matter is that this is just them being absolutely clear that the answer is no. You've asked to, to partner with us. You've asked to be part of this building, of this temple. But the answer is a clear no. We will not partner with you. It is not going to happen. And I don't believe that this was rude or insulting. I just think they were being abundantly clear in saying no. And it got me thinking, how much trouble or pain or heartache that could have been avoided if you and I had learned the courage to say no. Think about it. How many relationships and partnerships would we have not gotten into? How many mistakes would we not even have gotten the opportunity to make? And how many years of our lives would have been saved if we had the courage to say no, to say a clear no and mean that no? I realize, you know, that I am speaking mostly to Christians and people who want to become nice people. And the word no sometimes feels like, you know, a swearing word when it comes to us. This is like the worst thing we would want to say because we are, you know, we want to be nice people. And we believe the Bible instructs us that we must be nice people. But here's the fact of the matter. It is that saying yes to the wrong thing has the same effect as saying no to the right thing. Think about that for a moment. Saying yes to the wrong thing has the same effect as saying no to the right thing. Think about it. If you and I commit to a wrong thing, even when the right thing comes along later, we will not be able to say yes to it because we have already committed to the wrong thing. So saying yes to the wrong thing has the same effect as saying no to the right thing. And what's at stake right now is you and I being able to live out God's plans and purposes for our lives. And now the, the, the nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel, they rose up together. They were unanimous in saying the answer is no. It is clear it's not going to happen. And this is what it says. Then the people of the land began to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to build and bribed counselors and, uh, against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Doesn't this remind you of that thing that happens all too often in our society? Think about it. We may have seen it in TV, but I'm sure you've probably seen it growing up. A guy usually standing at some corner somewhere sees a girl approaching, begins to whistle at her or begins to approach her when she makes him realize that whatever he is trying to do will not happen. What does he immediately do? He begins to to insult her. He begins to call her names. What is that? Or think about this scenario for a moment. You know, a man who really shouldn't even be called a man, who can't take rejection and says, if I can't have her, then no one else will be able to have her. What is that? 
I think that's a sign that we have incredibly high levels, you know, of insecurity in our lives. We cannot take no for an answer. If you are a person like that, um, this is supposed to reveal to you that there is something that is, uh, that is desperately wrong within you. There's nothing wrong with the person who rejected you. There's nothing wrong with the person who said no. The fact that you are unable to take no means that there's something that is wrong within you. And let us just be clear that a person who cares about you will respect your decision even if that decision is to terminate the partnership. A person who cares about you will be able to respect your decision even if that decision is to terminate the partnership. You know, the person who's not able to do that clearly demonstrates that they never cared about us to begin with. And this is when the true colors of the adversaries came out. This is when it became abundantly clear that indeed they were enemies. When it became abundantly clear to them that the Israelites were not going to partner with them in the building of the temple, then they resorted to more direct forms of opposition. We are told that they tried to discourage them by probably calling them names or saying things, you know, nasty things to them. They tried to intimidate them by making threats against them. They bribed officials to try and hinder the progress of the building of the temple. They even wrote two letters on two separate accounts to two separate kings that were filled with half-truths and fabricated details regarding the Israelites and the work that they were doing. And this went on. If you do the calculation in terms of the time period between these kings, if you do that calculation, you will know that this went on for a period of about 15 years. Think about that for a moment. 15 years of intense and sustained opposition. 15 years. And what was the net result of all of that opposition? All of those attempts, everything that had been done, the net result is Ezra chapter 4, verse 24, where it says this. It says, Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of, of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then the word stopped. The word stopped. First thing I thought as I read this, I'm like, can, can this happen? Is this allowed to happen? But the fact of the matter is that after that intense and sustained opposition for 15 years, the net result was that the work simply stopped. The people abandoned the work. They went to do whatever else that they found to do. And I, I started thinking, have you ever faced so much opposition in your life that the only way out, the only way forward that you saw was to simply give up? It was so constant and so toxic and so painful that the only way you saw to resolve this situation was for you to abandon the work. I think of Peter. You know, in the New Testament, who was so discouraged when Jesus Christ was crucified, the person he had followed for three years, when he was crucified, Peter was so discouraged that he went back fishing. He went back to doing the thing that he was doing before. And perhaps you and I, you know, you probably tried your hand in business and it did not work out. You got your fingers burnt and you had to go back and dust off that CV so that you can go back to cooperate and apply for a job. And perhaps you took a step of faith and it simply did not work out. 
And the only solution was for you to go back to what you were doing before. If you have ever been in any of those situations, then I believe verse 24 is a gentle but resounding echo throughout the ages saying, it happens. It happens. You know, it could have been a business that you had to shut the doors off. It could be a business partnership you had to walk away from. It could be a relationship that went sour or an actual building project that you abandoned. Verse 24, I believe, is God's voice saying, it happens. Do you feel like maybe you have disappointed God or let him down? Or are you feeling ashamed or feeling that God is now angry at you? Do you hear the constant voice of the enemy in your ear condemning you? Well, I'm here to tell you that that's not God's voice. That is the voice of the enemy who wants you to stay down. Because God's voice is clear in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that you are a failure. The enemy wants you to believe that you will never amount to anything. That God trusted you with something important and you let God down. And because of that, God will never be able to trust you again. But God says, it happens. It happens. You know, this makes a lot of legalistic people a little bit uncomfortable. But listen, verse 24, saying that it happens, does not condone it. It does not encourage it. It does not even recommend it. But verse 24 affirms the reality that it happens. It happens in our lives, that we, that we go out, that we try, that we give something our best, that we believe God has called us to do, and we find ourselves at some point walking away from that thing. And it happens. And the fact of the matter is that God is not beating you up about it. So you and I need to stop beating ourselves up about it. We need to learn the lessons that we need to learn. We need to rework our strategy. We need to, we need to uh, figure out where we went wrong, fix our mistakes. But we need to stop beating ourselves up about it because God does not condemn us about it. So in the last minutes that I have, you know, with you today, what I would like to do is to just look at the question, what should you and I do if we find ourselves in a place where the work has stopped because of the opposition or hostility or difficulty? You know, we have done everything that we could to rise and rebuild. We have done everything we could, you know, but despite our best efforts, the work simply stopped. What should you and I do? I believe this is the one thing that you and I should do. We need to wait on the Lord. Because when the time is right, God is going to encourage us. God will come back to us and encourage us to pick ourselves up and begin to try again. Because I believe that there is absolutely nothing wrong with taking some time out to heal, to replenish, and to recover after incurring some losses in our lives. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking for some time out. I don't think that God, you know, gets angry at us when we need some time out. And this is what began to happen when the work ceased for a period that we are not told how long did the work actually cease. But we know it was until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia, where the work 
stopped. Nothing was happening in the building of the temple. But quietly and in the background, God began to move again. First thing he did is that he raised two prophets, who was Haggai and Zechariah, who encouraged the people to pick themselves up, to go back and finish the work that they started. And at the same time, God was working supernaturally behind the scenes, and he stirred up the hearts of Darius, king of Persia, who during the second year of his reign, he also wrote a decree endorsing the rebuilding of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and also gave the Israelites all the support that they needed to be able to finish the work that they were doing of rebuilding the temple. In fact, in Ezra chapter 6, Verse 14 to 15, these are the words that we find there. It says, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edom. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the Mount of Ada in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Listen, there's nothing that can stand in the way of God's plans for you and for myself. There's nothing that can stand in the way of what God wants to achieve through you and I because there is nothing and there is no one who is powerful enough to be able to do that. God's plans and purposes will always be done. But that does not mean that everything will be smooth sailing. That does not mean that everything will work, you know, like clockwork because it will not Opposition will come. Difficulties will come. Painful situations will happen. So now I just want to leave you with three things that I think we should do whenever we find ourselves dealing with opposition. And the first one, and quickly, don't think it's strange when, you know, opposition comes. When you face opposition, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's something that is out, out of the ordinary. Because sometimes the mistake that we make is to think that just because we are doing something that is good, something that is helpful, something that will result in a positive change taking place in our surrounding, then that means everyone is going to be on board. That's sometimes a mistake that we make. But the reality of the matter is that if you and I do anything significant for God, opposition will surely come. There's no two ways about it. If you and I rise to do something, anything significant for God, we will most definitely attract opposition. So the best thing that you and I can do to prepare ourselves for it is to expect it so that we are not taken of God when it comes. The second thing that you and I can do when facing opposition is that when opposition comes, don't take it personally. Remember that the adversaries, you know, they came when they heard that progress was being made in the rebuilding of the temple. So what does that tell us? It tells us that when the, op when the enemy opposes us, it's normally not because of us, but because of what we are doing. The enemy normally does not have a problem with a person per se, but he has a problem when that person begins to do something positive, something good for God, when they begin, you know, to do something that will, that will impact or affect the enemy's kingdom. That is when the enemy normally comes and, and tries to, to get us to stop, opposes us, and begins to attack us. It is not normally because of us, but it is normally because of what we are doing or because of who we represent. So don't take it personally 
when the opposition comes don't ask yourself why me why is this happening to me you know why do the people in this office hate me so much they do not hate you but they hate what you are doing the enemy is not opposing you but opposing what you are doing and the third thing and finally don't stop because the goal of the enemy is to get us to stop doing what we are doing. The goal of the adversaries was to get the Israelites to stop rebuilding the temple. But don't give him the satisfaction. Don't give in to the threat. Don't stop doing what you are doing and what God has called you to do. You know, I don't know how or where this message finds you this morning. You know, you could have just made, had to make the difficult decision to cut your losses because of what is happening around you. I want you to know and I want you to remember that God does not condemn you. Therefore, do not condemn yourself and definitely do not allow the enemy to condemn you because of the difficult decision that you have had to make to take some time off to shut the doors of the project of the initiative that God has called you to do. And for someone else here, this message could be, you know, the encouragement that God is sending you to remind you to get up and finish the work that you started, but you left undone, or to finish that degree that you signed up for, but you abandoned along the way. Listen, God is with you, and God is for you, and he will surely fulfill the words that he has spoken concerning you. He will surely fulfill all his promises that he has made over you and remember there is no power in all of creation that will ever be able to stand toe to toe with our God and win yes it may not look like it at the moment but God will always remain victorious let us arise and let us begin to rebuild our lives let us pick up the pieces and do what God has called us to do in our lives let us pray Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, that indeed you are with us. Your word says, Lord God, that regardless of what we go through, Father, you are with us because you promise that never shall you leave us and never shall you forsake us. It does not matter what we are facing. It does not matter what we are going through. It does not matter the opposition that we are feeling uh, wherever we are, whatever we are doing in our lives. We can know that you are with us because of your promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. I pray for each and every person, Father, who is hearing and who is listening to your word. Father, depending on where they are, I pray for a person who has just made that difficult decision to actually just stop doing the work, to shut the doors and to cut their losses. Father, I pray that indeed you affirm them, Lord God, that you affirm your love upon them. Because right now what they need is, is to know, Lord God, that indeed you love them, that you care about them, that you see, Lord Jesus, and that you do not condemn them. I pray, Father God, that you help us to stop condemning ourselves and to stop giving the enemy the opportunity to condemn us and the airtime to speak into our lives. I pray, Father God, for that person who has taken some time off and now is the moment when they begin, when they need to begin to rebuild, to rise again and to finish what they started. I pray, Father God, that you may give us that encouragement that we need, that you may place people around us like those two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, that are going to encourage us to help to help us to continue to rebuild, to continue doing what you have called us to do so that at the end of the day, your name, Father, may be glorified, your name may be lifted up, that you may receive all the glory and all the honor for whatever you have used us to do here on earth. We thank you, Father God, Father, because of your love, because of your goodness on our lives. 
We pray, Father God, that indeed may your name be lifted up. May your name be praised now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Hi, my name is Monty Kwele, and together with my wife, we pastor People's Church. I'm so glad that you chose to join us online today, and I pray that God uses this resource to make you more and more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note that these kinds of resources are never meant to replace the need for you to belong to a local church congregation where you are led and shepherded, a place where you can use your gifts and your resources to make a positive impact on the lives of the people around you. This is only meant to supplement and not substitute them. And lastly, I would like to ask you, if these resources have been of benefit to you, would you kindly consider giving to People's Church? This is so that we can continue to invest in technologies that help us and enable us to increase our reach and spread the message of Jesus Christ even wider and to even more people. For ways to do that, you can go to our website and click on the Giving tab and you'll see ways to be able to give. Now once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Take care and God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Remember to save the date for our AGM on the 5th of September. And ladies, if you're interested in coming to the conference, speak to Auntie Kensane. Enjoy your week and stay blessed.